0: And right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Get 50% off right now at masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. We are so excited for you to all hear today's episode with our guest, Gina Cunningham. Gina is a doctor of physical therapy and a board certified pelvic health specialist, and one of my favorite colleagues to share clients with. Gina clues us into what a pelvic floor actually is, why pelvic floor health matters. She explains the reasons why someone might go to pelvic floor physical therapy and takes us through what a typical evaluation looks like. She answers some of your questions like, do Kegel exercises actually work? And gives us all the amazing resources to help locate a pelvic floor practitioner in your area, which we will also list in today's show notes. You can follow my friend Gina on Instagram at G Cunningham underscore PT for all things pelvic floor and PT. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and have a wonderful week.
1: Welcome to Shrink Chicks. I'm Emily Beerley And I'm Jennifer Chaikin. And we're licensed marriage and family therapists and owners of the therapy group. We're on a mission to make therapy and therapeutic topics more relatable and accessible. So stay tuned.
0: Because in order to grow yourself, you got to know yourself. Welcome back to Shrink Chicks. Welcome to Shrink Chicks. Okay, so we have, I feel like I always say one of my favorite people. So I guess I should say one of my dearest people, maybe today <laughs> I'll say. That's nice. So Which nice. is on today's episode of Shrink Chicks, we have Gina Cunningham, who is the world's most amazing pelvic floor therapist um has changed lives and Gina and I have shared many clients and have worked together collaboratively now for like seven years we've been working yeah. with people right yeah probably like seven to eight years I would say that we we're working together so like it is just, so like I'm so happy because this is a long com- time coming we've tried to get you on the show
2: yes <laughs> yes
0: and yes. now you're here.
2: We text and talk all the time. And it's so nice to actually have a good conversation with you and Dan. So. <laughs> oh, my God.
0: Yes. So we're here. So, okay. One of the coolest things is I feel like people talk about pelvic floors a lot more now. You see, like, hilarious means like, drink your water and keep your pelvic floor strong. But, like, I actually think a lot of people don't actually even know what a pelvic floor is or what a pelvic floor physical therapist does. And so I think we should start with just the basics, Gina what let's start
2: with the basics what yeah. the
0: fuck is a pelvic floor
2: <laughs> what the fuck is a pelvic floor it's
0: going to be the name so, of the
3: episode I'm yes, sure. i
2: love it i love it so your pelvic floor muscles are at the bottom of your pelvis so if you touch your pubic bone in the front and tailbone in the back and then your two sit bones on the side all of that is connected by your pelvic pelvic floor muscles so what those muscles do is they're in charge of your bladder bowel and sexual function So they're a sling or like a hammock that holds onto all of your pelvic organs. So your bladder, your uterus and your colon. So they're a support system for all your pelvic organs. Um, They're also postural muscles. So they're activated all day or else we'd be peeing and pooping ourselves. So they are huge part of our body that people take for granted that they don't even realize that it's all muscle down there. And they don't realize that they have muscle down there until there's dysfunction. And what I mean by dysfunction is leakage, whether it's urine or feces or pain. And um, I'm very passionate about what I do in my profession because I see so many women and men that they go through this, you know, cascade of doctors and providers and They have all these signs and symptoms of disorders and it's not really, it's getting better, but it's not as talked about as a heart condition or a lung condition, or it should be something normal that all people should know that, oh, I have this issue and I'll go to this doctor for this, but that's not the case, so.
0: Okay, so one of the things that somebody asked about, which I think was really important, is somebody wrote in and said, why do we not educate people earlier about their pelvic floor muscles, right? Like, I feel like a lot of times people start talking about it when it comes to if you make the decision to have a child and you're going to have like a vaginal birth. And I feel like besides that, unless you have some type of dysfunction, like no one really does talk about pelvic floor. What's with that? Preaching to the choir. I don't.
2: <laughs> I know, and I think, I think it at first it was a generational thing that you know women didn't talk to their healthcare providers, or women were embarrassed to tell their friends, like, you know, I am having pain. People don't. Um, at first didn't talk about sex as much as they do now but um i think it is kind of a generational thing i see sometimes with the baby boomers they have a harder time discussing that they have leak urinary leakage or that they're having intimacy issues because of pain with their partner um but i think it takes its time in our healthcare system for the education and um when we go to your OB visits, a lot of it is about the baby, and a lot of it about um, you know m- checking your sugar levels and checking your your heart and the heart rate and your blood pressure, which is all important and good things. But um, that is a big issue that women don't even know what their pelvic floor is or what it does when you deliver a baby, and it's crucial. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it's even an awareness, even to. Um, physical therapy is my profession. So we don't, we didn't learn about pelvic floor physical therapy in physical therapy school. So I wow. went to Jefferson and um, we had one lecture one day in our orthopedic uh, class and it was about pelvic floor. Um, it was just about the anatomy and it was basically like teach a pregnant woman to do Kegels. And it is insane. And I'm on this podcast, especially today, I'm trying to put up my social media, but my my what I do every day is not just about doing your key goals. It's so much more. So um, but I think yeah, it's that awareness, it's the conversation. And I really think it's um improving with social media and you know, people posting more and talking about it more, and you know, women um saying to a girlfriend, Oh, I have this issue, and then she says, Oh, me too, and I have a friend that has this, and oh, they saw a public floor physical therapist, or oh, you could do this. So I think the conversation is more, but what really needs to happen is from our um, going to the doctors to talk about it at first. So and I feel like
0: so often people will, I feel like a lot of things that we will end up seeing in our work is someone's having very painful sex and they'll go into their OB and they'll bring this up and the OB will say something along the lines of, Well, will have a glass of wine. <laughs> just have a glass of wine beforehand, right? As if it's like just all in your head and that it's totally, totally normal for sex to be painful.
2: Which makes me so, so sad. So everybody listening to this, pain with intercourse is not normal. And someone like me, a pelvic floor physical therapist, can help you. And then I also, when I recognize that there's some kind of emotional component, send you to someone like Emily and Jen, because the (laughs) two and two go together. And I explain that sex isn't just physical, it's mental, it's emotional, and it is physical. So um, with the pelvic floor, a lot of people think, oh, you know, when they think pelvic floor or, or, uh, you know, physical therapy, they think, oh, I need to strengthen and do Kegels when it's not about that it's actually their pelvic floor muscles are too tight they're in a contracted position um it's called vaginismus when a painful when a stimulus comes to our vulva and our muscles involuntarily contract to um, protect ourselves so it could be due to a past trauma and i say there's big t's and little t's um doesn't mean you have to have a history of sexual abuse it could have been Um, You know, you're 18 years old and your first OBGYN exam was really painful or, you know, the first experience with a partner was was not enjoyable and painful. So, um, you know, even inserting a tampon when you're 14 years old, 13 years old, if that was a bad experience for you, your brain Um, it registers that that area of your body is painful and what it's going to do, it's going to go into fight or flight and protect itself and it's going to contract. So in um, my treatment, you know, it's a very, it's not your typical gym setting um, where I'm in a closed room with dim lights. It looks, you know, I try to make it very calming because I'm not just working on the muscles, but I'm working on retraining your nervous system to not have that
3: reaction to the stimulus. So So Gina, talk, if you could talk a little bit about like what your process looks like, because I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, what does pelvic floor PT actually look like when I go in there? Like, what's that process look like? So if you could speak to that a little bit, that would be wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) So to be a pelvic floor physical therapist,
2: you have to have a great knowledge of an orthopedic background. So when I have a patient come in, um, you know whether it they're pregnant whether they're postpartum whether they're 16 and complaining of pain with intercourse whether they're in their 70s and complaining of urinary incontinence you know i can go into different uh, diagnoses that i do treat but basically what i do is um i sit them down and i get their subjective history so i want to know everything about your you know your ob history your mental health um you know any surgeries um when all your symptoms started and kind of create this differential diagnosis of what's going on because a lot of times people come in and they complain of leakage, but it's not because their pelvic floor muscles are weak. They're actually too hypertonic. They're too tight. So mm-hmm. I don't just say, you know, everyone shouldn't just be doing Kegels because it could be detrimental. So okay. I start off with this objective. And then what I do is I check their pro alignment. Um, you know, I check their hips. So the asymmetries in our pelvis could affect the pelvic floor. So I wanna create symmetry and function into the muscles because if one hip is higher than the other, or, you know, your back muscles are overworked and you're not using your core correctly, it's all integrated in our pelvic floor. So, then I have the patient do some movements like squatting. I like to see their mobility. I lay them down on the table. i want to check their breathing mechanics. So how they diaphragmatically breathe, how they expand their rib cage. Um, are they compensating with accessory muscles of their upper neck? Um, and how they engage their core. So our core isn't just our six-pack muscles. Our core is, I like to call it our dome home. So our pelvic floor is the basement, our diaphragm the attic, and then we have our abdominal walls and our deep back muscles. So in my evaluation, I check to see how all those muscles are coordinating together because if that's not coordinated, that's when we see dysfunction. So that's all a pressure system. Like imagine a soda bottle And you know, the caps on nice and tight. So that's your pelvic floor. It's strong. And then you increase the pressure in the soda bottle. Well, that lid is going to stay on because it's strong. It's, it's good. It's, it's functional. It's coordinated versus you have a weakened cap and you increase the pressure system. Boom. It's going to pop. So you're going to leak. So I'm looking, how is your rib cage? How's your diaphragm? How are your abdominals? And then I do my pelvic floor assessment. So I step out of the room. I have the patient go to the bathroom. I always get their consent, have them change from the waist down. And what I do is an external evaluation. So I see how the pelvic floor muscles contract and how they relax. And then um, I do an internal evaluation vaginally. And then sometimes I do an internal evaluation rectally, depending if they have constipation or fecal incontinence, or um, I see a lot of patients with tailbone sprains or fractures. Mm. So, um, but that's what um, basically, yeah, that's what my day, all day, every day is like. So that's my typical evaluation usually.
0: Okay. So we have, there's so many questions to go through here, right? So many. I love it right? But a lot of them have to do about childbirth. So first, I'm wondering for any of our non moms, non parents that are listening, what are some reasons other people might know they have to go see a PT? Because I want to get into all of the childbirth stuff as well. But I think there's other people that are listening that are like, I kind of think I need to see one. And what would be some reasons of why people would end up in your office?
2: totally so it's not just pregnancy postpartum um i like i said i see a lot of young females um that have pain they have or or elderly females so and i say uh females and uh, right now i am in a women's um, specialty center so um you know i typically i see people with vulvas and vaginas Mm -hmm. so i um I do see, I specialize in, um, I have a certificate in transgender health. So I do see um, that population as well. But um, for right now, I do not see people that have uh, penises.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You can say penises, Gina. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> people with penises um, are I not coming in I to. too. however <laughs> let me explain men do go to pelvic floor physical therapy yeah so okay. it men have pelvic floor issues as well but when i'm i'm talking today is the population yeah. i normally see and um children go to pelvic floor physical therapy as well for constipation for um urinary leakage so i used to see children, and um, I used to treat men as well. But for right now, in this population, I'm seeing. So I (laughs) I can go off on my tangents. Um, No, we
0: love it. Anyone else feeling like the mental load of making dinner, the planning, the shopping, the prep, figuring out the timing? (laughs) It's a little heavy to carry, huh? Same. That's why I am so grateful for Hungry Root. The food quality, simple recipes, true tastiness, and delivery right to my door is truly a game changer. When getting started, you take a fun, short quiz and hungry what will get to know you, what you like to eat, and more. Then they'll build you a personalized cart with all your grocery needs for the week and give you delicious recipe recommendations to put those groceries to use. So you can sit back, relax, and offload the many steps of meal planning. Each order is fully customizable so you can take their suggestions or choose anything you want. They've got fresh produce, high quality meat and seafood, healthy snacks, smoothies, sweets, ready meals, kids' snacks and meals, vitamins, supplements, much more. My favorite item from my latest box was the honey citrus chopped salad, lemon pepper, chicken, and the four cheese tortellini. You gotta try it for yourself. Everything from Hungry Root follows a simple standard. It's gotta taste good, be quick to make, and contain whole trusted ingredients. Right now Hungry Root is offering Shrink Chicks listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to hungryroot.com slash shrink chicks to get forty percent off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's hungryroot.com slash shrink chicks. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you.
1: So it was very cool that I had the ability to update my location. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin and they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash shrink chicks. So you get a free consultation then 50% off at pros.com slash shrink chicks. That's P R O S E.com slash shrink chicks.
3: Right now I
2: see, uh, that are not pregnant or postpartum. Like I said, uh, women that have pain with intercourse, whether they're in their teens or 70s. I see people that have urinary urgency and frequency. So it's not normal to have to pee all the time. So normal urination is at least every two hours. You should be able to hold your bladder for two hours. And a lot of times if people feel the need that they're always in the bathroom or they always have that strong urge to go to the bathroom, um, it could be a pelvic floor dysfunction that the muscles are actually too tight and it's sending a false signal to your bladder. And it's giving you that sensation that you always have to go to the bathroom.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, I see patients with interstitial cystitis and that is um, a chronic pain syndrome where they have bladder pain. And it's actually it could be because of their bladder, but it's perceived pain around the bladder. So you get a lot of symptoms. Um It's real, it feels like it's your bladder, but it's actually could be coming from other places like your pelvic floor. So I treat, treat patients with IC. Um And a lot of times I see patients with chronic UTIs that um, they have this um, sensation or signs that they have a UTI, but then they go to their doctor and they have a negative culture. So what the hell is that? Like, okay, I feel like I have to pee all the time. I have pain when I urinate. Um, So all the signs when you have UTI. I'm I'm so sorry for everyone that's had it, but if you had it, you know what it feels like. (laughs) Daggers. Um, Daggers. daggers. Yeah. Horrible. but then, okay, great. So then the treatment is you go to your primary care doctor or your OBGYN, they do a culture and check if there's bacteria in your urine. Great, there's bacteria. Let me take an antibiotic. It's good. What well, it happens when there's a negative culture, right? So right. if your doctor, your primary care doctor or OBGYN, and I'm not saying for all, because I get great referrals from a lot of practitioners that um, send. <laughs> pelvic floor physical therapy, but for sometimes they'll just write the script here, take an antibiotic. I'm not sure what it is. You have these symptoms when it actually, it could be coming from your pelvic floor. So, um, I see, and that has nothing to do with being pregnant or postpartum, but, um, how does our pelvic floor get tight? Um, again, it could be a variation of things, but I've seen a lot with recent people working from home that they're sitting all day. Like I said, your pelvic floor, postural muscles with COVID, people are sitting, they're contracting, mm. they're tightening and shortening the area um, and increased stress, anxiety. You know, just like people clench their jaw and have ten- uh, tension in their neck, they carry their weight in their shoulders, their tension in the shoulders. A lot of people don't even realize that you're a tight ass. You're literally tightening up your pelvic floor. I joke around. I say, stop being a tight ass. You're don't even realize, but you're automatically gripping those muscles. And, and two, in our culture, women, we're so used to like sucking and tightening and gripping in, like, instead of just letting it out, like, it's not healthy for our pelvic floor, for our muscles to always be sucking and tightening in. So that's how I see hypertonic or overactive muscles that can lead to these signs and symptoms.
3: So Well, and you're and you're touching so much on the and this is this, I thought was a really good question. And also, I wanted to like, kind of, you know, off of this one, have another question. Um, But This question is (laughs) can't speak today. What's the link between mind and pelvic floor? And how can you strengthen the relationship? Because I'm also wondering, like, at what point do you are you like, okay, we've done we've done our work here, and I need to refer you to a therapist? So I took that question with
2: two different perspectives. So it could be um, that mind body that people are in that fight or flight response, right? Fight or flight is um, that when a threat comes to our body and we either fight it, we stick around and tackle the threat or that we fly away from it. Right. So that goes back to primitive times when we're running from a tiger, what our body does, right. Our pupils dilate, you know, our palms get sweaty, our heart, inc- heart rate increases. Well, now those threats are stress at work. Um, you know, uh, maybe an unhealthy relationship, you know, our kids. So, you know, our finances. So those are all stressors now that we, that we have that is the same fight or flight. So when you have, we go into fight or flight, Um, a cascade of hormones gets released. um, One being adrenaline. That's why, you know, you hear stories that someone can flip a car when there's some kind of car accident, because your hormone adrenaline gets released, you can flip a car. Well, once those hormones get released, um, what happens is there's a disconnect with the bladder and the mind connection and that communication it's inappropriate and causes bladder contraction. So people feel you might feel like you have to pee, but you really don't. So, um, you know, like you go to the bathroom, and then five minutes later, you have to go do a speech on stage, or you have to talk on a podcast, or you (laughs) have to sing, right? So you're nervous. It's because our bladder is innervated by our nervous system. It's connected by our, our sympathetic fight or flight and parasympathetic rest and relax response. That's how it contracts. That's how it relaxes. So, When your bladder fills with urine, what it does is it stretches and it hits these receptors on our bladder. It sends a message to your brain, hey, you have to pee. And then you make that conscious decision, no, I'm going to hold on or yes, I'm going to let go. It sends the message back down your spinal cord and it does the appropriate thing with our bladder. But like I was saying, in stressful situations, we're getting a false sense of urgency and Mm. um people feed into that habit so Mm. there's no way that your bladder is filled if you just peed and five or ten minutes later you feel like you have to pee again so for that mind-body connection i teach patients about bladder retraining so um i've seen a lot of increase with this with people working from home you have the luxury of going to the toilet all the time versus if you're a teacher or nurse or you know you're at a work situation at your desk you're you can't leave So when you have the luxury of going to the toilet all the time, you just, you do it. Well, that becomes a habit. So, um, I do a lot of bladder retraining and urge suppression techniques that we shouldn't go to the bathroom just in case, like, you know, you may have to learn it from childhood. Like, you know, your mom, I do it. I have, I try not to do it with my child, but you don't have an accident. Come on, we're going in the car, go to the bathroom, right? Oh, we're in the store. Let's, let's pee first. No, you shouldn't just as an adult, you shouldn't just go to the bathroom for your luxury you should go when your bladder sends that signal to you so to make that mind-body connection um we work on bladder retraining but um in the other i was thinking about this about pain um patients don't even know their parts they don't know what their vagina is what their vulva is they don't know um you know where their clitoris is so what I have them do is help to desensitize physically before sending to you guys like, Hey, you know, here's a mirror, take a look down there. Like th- let this become, it's a part of your body. You shouldn't be shamed about it. It shouldn't be this negative connotation because if you have negative, Oh, I can't look at that pelvic floor model. Oh, I can't, I don't ever want to look down there or ever want to touch anything how are you gonna have somebody else touch you? How are you gonna be okay being vulnerable with a partner, right? So um, you guys do an awesome job digging deep into finding out like the mental, uh, emotional background of it. Um, And I do, I kind of touch on all that too, with my patients, but from a physical point of view that I really worked, you know, to, you know, to look at yourself, like touch yourself, not even, I'm not even talking about masturbating, I'm saying just, it's it's okay, it's a part of your body. And I see this in a lot of cultures or, you know, if you were brought up like sex is bad or don't look, you know, don't look at your vagina or don't masturbate or don't do anything down there, you know, as an adult, you're gonna think negative perception of it. And then again, it can lead into pain,
3: mm. so.
0: Okay, wait, so I have to ask you guys, this is a side note, but I need to personally know, where is the place that you feel like you always have to pee? Because growing up, I'm so embarrassed (laughs) to admit this, but, like, anytime, because I was a big tanner when I was in high school, I would always go tanning. Like, that was like a thing. It's like after school, we uh, would like, duh, go Emily, I went yeah.
3: to high school
0: with you. I know. Crazy. We went. Okay. Gina and I went to the same high school a few did years everyone apart. Go but but every. Yes. Yes. Bad. Everybody, bad. you literally so left. Mad. Don't go tanning. In, yeah. Oh, my God. It's horrible. Everyone,
3: everyone was probably like comparing themselves. Like, oh, this person's so tan. Totally. Like, That's what you mean. Everyone had or... to be tan. right?
0: Oh, I had like to the point where like I had the J Wow tanning lotion. Okay. So. did double dip. Have you ever gone double dipping? Oh, my God. You did it two a day? <laughs> oh, oh man, Can, can we? Up, okay. Sorry, and this can is we why also, we. <laughs>
3: wait. Can I out you, Emily, right now? Because Emily had a tanning bed in her apartment at one okay, point. Okay. But I
0: never <laughs> used it. <laughs>
3: she okay, never that, used it that
0: is a longer story but I did have a tanning <laughs> bed in my apartment in 2012 listen that was my <laughs> that was my vice I don't do it anymore I yes. get it okay and this is why there? we'll all be this is why you should get into dermatology now but yeah, I will say this like in high school anytime I went to a tanning booth I was like I'm gonna fucking pee I'm gonna pee like there was something yeah. about being in there and knowing that I had like eight minutes left Thank I almost say. peed myself almost every time and then uh, like multiple friends of mine then worked at Hollywood Tans and they're like people pee <laughs> in tanning booths all the time like they no said it was like way. yes they said one of the biggest issues they have is people would pee in the tanning booths
3: I and ew, so, so like, my first thought too <laughs> is like do you get electrocuted you know what I mean like I feel like I never happened to me but like there. I
0: know I know right but I mean there's not like exposed wires but like that's a great right. point Jen but so I have to know Gina and Jen Is there a place that, like, you feel like you have that urge? Like, did you ever have that
3: experience in life? The the thing that I was thinking about while you were talking and you were talking about, like, bladder control, the thing that annoys me the most is having to pee when I'm sleeping. Mm. (laughs) Like, and I'm just like, I don't want to. I just think it's just such an inconvenience to have to get out of bed. (laughs) So there's two types of, of incontinence. There's stress yeah. incontinence
2: and urge incontinence. So Emily, stress. you're talking about urge incontinence. Oh, and distress So okay. urge incontinence is when an external, um, when you get an urge to go to the bathroom and you actually pee yourself. Like you have a strong urge and you're like, oh shit, I can't hold myself. I'm going to pee and I pee. That's called urgent continence. And that has to do with our sensory and our nervous system input to our brain. Again, that brain and bladder connection. So people that like pee, they pee when they start hearing running water. Or I have patients, they pee themselves when the garage door goes up. Or they pee themselves with, um, when they do the dishes, right? So mm. they have trained their mind and connected it to the bladder that when those stimuluses happen that it's connected to releasing and letting go of the pelvic floor and contracting the uh, bladder so tanning or being hot and or in like a heated space that that might have been a stimulus that triggered that response in you
1: oh why because
2: there's no way that you peed and then eight minutes later you have to pee again no no right there's no way Right, so it's like a reservoir. It's always filling and emptying, and it can hold two cups of urine before you really have to pee. And that's the same thing with um, it's called nocturia, but peeing at night. So you should, I say, stop d- drinking fluids two hours before bed, um, which is not always easy to do. And then always pee. <laughs> you shouldn't. Jen,
3: Jen just started drinking water this I just week. Started so <laughs> drinking this truly, I am so dehydrated all the Good. time and yes. I made a new kind of goal for myself to drink this water but as we're I talking, have the same bottle so bad <laughs> yeah well um lemon and lime that's a citrus
2: so that's actually a bladder irritant so things like coffee teas sodas carbonated drinks citrus it's actually there. <laughs> you're doing all the bladder irritants. So oh god. Again, so I'm practicing
3: is, while we're talking.
2: So this is all a part of my treatment and a part of what I talk about and do. It's not just like me putting your finger in vaginas and testing the muscles. So it's talking about your diet, talking about your habits, talking about your mental well-being, your relationships, you know, your exercise routine. So this is this is great. This is all a part of it. But um, let me get back to at nighttime. When you feel like you have to pee, if you give in to that urge every night, your body's going to learn that and you're going to have to pee. So w- for your age, one time is somewhat normal, like zero to one, but you should not be peeing more than once in the middle of the night. And people don't realize if you, um, as an adult wet the bed at night, um, I the first thing I do is have patients get their um, sugar tested because it could be a sign of diabetes. If you um, leak urine in the middle of the night, it, like it doesn't wake you up, um, so yeah, it's so interesting. There's a lot okay. of stuff
0: that's related to the bladder. Um, so all the mamas will kill us if we don't get into this childbirth and pelvic floor. Specifically, one of Jen's best friends who messaged, please, me, 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 me. We know who you are, okay? <laughs> this is my jam. So Yes, this is- all right. So, let's start with, is it actually possible to do anything to prepare for childbirth via your pelvic floor? What should people do? If people are listening right now, maybe they're pregnant, they're thinking about becoming pregnant, they're wondering, fuck, I don't want to fuck over my pelvic floor. What do you say from your expertise? Yes, there is something you could do, and
2: we don't talk about this. So someone did an awesome. I'm again, I'm trying to get my social media, but someone did an awesome reel, and now it's stuck in my head. And it's going to be stuck of everyone's head. So your pelvic floor, they did this a video where it was like, "Move, bitch, get out the <laughs> way, get out the way," because our pelvic floor should get out of the way when you deliver a baby. Okay. So you will never forget that when you when you they tell us to push but what's actually pushing the baby out is our uterus and again that intra-abdominal pressure of our diaphragm and our abdominals right so our pelvic floor doesn't do anything during delivery so it should stretch and relax and move out of the way so that the baby's head and body could exit Mm. so what happens is so um with the pregnant women in the first and second trimester i work on strengthening and yes like you know, getting that connection of where your pelvic floor is and doing pelvic floor contractions, which are Kegels. Um, But it's not just about like, oh, let me get my pelvic floor so strong. It's going to prepare me to deliver this baby so great. No. And I can't stand it. And all these like pregnancy apps and everywhere. It's like, oh, you're pregnant, or your Kegels or go to this class that's for pregnant women, do Kegel. No, like, Yes. It's good. Like you can strengthen your pelvic floor and do a billion Kegels a day, which isn't good for you, but do them all day long. It doesn't matter because it matters how big the baby, the size of the baby's head is. And it matters. Um, if you had an episiotomy, if you push Mm. more than two hours, or if you had forceps or, um, use. So Mm. those three factors are all, um, indicators that you might have pelvic floor issues afterwards. um, there's things that you can do to prepare for birth. So there was actually um, a systematic literature review published um, September, 2020 about perineal massaging. So mm. um, before, you know, there wasn't great research on it. Uh, you know, doesn't really do anything, but they found in the systematic literature review that um, doing perineal massage while you're pregnant after the 34th, um, 34 weeks of pregnancy can really help diminish tears and episiotomies so um so yeah you want to what i do in the third trimester is really teach women how to like relax and open up their pelvic floor so that is definitely something that we can teach um and that's what i do with pregnant patients so yes you can prepare your pelvic floor for delivery again the OBs, the midwives they're trying to um, keep you and the baby alive. That's why we're, it's not 1920 anymore giving birth. So they're trying to, you know, if it comes to your pelvic floor damage or the baby, if your pelvic floor is damaged, then come see someone like me. But, um, yeah. those are some things that can help is definitely, you know, pushing techniques, um, even different laboring positions. We talk about like how to labor, like Emily, tell me if it, you felt this way, like I learned about labor and delivery, but until I went through it, I didn't realize like, labor versus even delivery so you labor can labor for like 20 hours but you only really push the baby
0: out for like an hour okay so i will say i had an amazing doula that i did all of my birth prep with and so part of like my birth prep was like coming up with a plan and teaching me everything now I'm very privileged to have been able to afford yeah, to be able to afford to do that a lot of people don't have that but if you are in a situation where you can work with a doula beforehand and have a doula there for your birth she just like talked me through all of it and it really helps so much yeah that's amazing yes Okay, yeah, I have a question. Some people yeah. think
2: they can only have doulas if they do like a home birth. Yep,
0: hell no. Well, you actually, have a doula if you go to a hospital, like Is that true with COVID? Actually, actually yeah. I should bef- is, Oh, wait, wait. I'm sorry. Is that true? I'm I wonder now.
2: About that now. um I'm not sure about right now. I'm not going to speak for right now. I don't know the protocols in the world today with the doulas, but um, yeah, I, I knew for a while you... I knew last year it was so unfortunate that doulas weren't able to be present.
0: So I will say if you are allowed to bring an additional support yes. person of a doula, 100% do it. And we don't actually know that must be every hospital different policies, but okay, wait, somebody asked a really great question, which I want to get into because I think a lot of people don't understand what this is. And somebody wrote in, can I resolve um, diastasis recti to?" years after postpartum and how do I know if I have it I love this so first to explain what that is to people I yeah. am so I have I no
2: am. clue what it is <laughs> week follow-up um so what happens at your six week postpartum and again I'm generalizing not in all cases not all OBs. not all
3: all midwives uh, but, but what
2: they're checked a lot <laughs> so what they're checking for is to see if your tissue has healed right So if your C-section scar has healed, if your vaginal scarring has healed, if your uterus has returned back to its original positioning, that's what they're checking for. Um, They're not necessarily checking for your pelvic floor strength. They're not checking for your abdominal strength. They're not looking at your motion. So um, what a diastasis is, it's a diastasis recti. You might hear DR and And it's a big BuzzFeed word and it's in a lot of moms groups talking about it like, oh, I I can't get my stomach, how it was before. Um, Do I have this? But basically what diastasis means separation and recti is our rectus abdominal muscles. So um, you have this ligament that goes from your sternum, which is like right at the point of your ribcage in the middle, and then it goes down to your pubic bone. So that's called your linea alba, where our muscles connect to it. So if you could imagine like a hot six pack, right? That's like ab separation, ab, ab separation, ab. It's not like a sheath of muscle, right? So when you're pregnant, your, your stomach expands and stretches. And what happens is that sometimes due to collagen, genetics, um, if you don't use your abdominals while you're pregnant, um, so weakness or laxity, What happens is those muscles, they don't go back with multiple bursts. um, They don't go back to that original positioning of the linea alba. And um, you have uh, like a separation between your muscles that is larger than two fingers. Or you have, um, it's called doming, where you kind of like lift your head up. And actually, there's new research where 100% of women are going to have some form of diastasis in their third trimester because of um, the abdominal stretching. But when, if you're pregnant or, you know, looked up when you lift your head up and you kind of see this like alien bulge, like it's like a TP that's like coming out of your stomach. Mm. That's that like laxity of that ligament. um, And that again, intra-abdominal pressure pushing up. So after um, it should, again, as you get stronger and use your core, that it should uh resolve on its own but if not there's different um exercises there's different massage techniques there's different taping techniques uh, but a lot of it is again connecting your pelvic floor and abdominals um and for two year mark i th- uh, reconstructing and of our any of our tissue it's about two years for the remodeling and um the remodeling phases of how tissue heals so um wow. I would say for, um, at two years, yes, you can work on it. It's ideal to really work on it, you know, if your OB notices it or someone would notice it after six weeks and then really start to work on it. Because when you have that, what happens is you can have back pain because of weakness in our abdominals. You can have um, pelvic floor issues like leakage or um, pelvic organ prolapse, not to scare you, Jen, but it's when our bladder or colon or uterus um, collapses into our vagina wall. And um, so it's not our actual bladder. It's the wall of the bladder. It's not Jared's our actual colon. <laughs> it's not our actual colon. It's, the, oh my God. You're going to pass
3: out. <laughs> You're going to be on the floor. This is I how well Gina knows floor. us.
0: <laughs> no, I'll just you no, but it's, you a, like, Whoa, it's, it's real, dude. This really shit can happen. It's oh, a real God. shit.
2: So this is what happened. So it's six weeks women they get cleared okay you can go have sex and you can go exercise well what the fuck does that mean so like people what does that mean like where do i start so someone who is an avid runner okay let me i'm stressed i'm not sleeping i want to get some baby weight off you know what i feel pretty good today i'm gonna go run three miles what the fuck your muscles you can't just do that like you just made a person and gave birth to a
3: person came out of your body like that's the crazy I can't, thing to, I can't do that even without making a person <laughs> I can't I can't can't do anything of the sort
2: <laughs> but you know what I mean so they get cleared and then they're like oh let me go back to exercise like I did and and they're you know they're their pelvis has changed, their, their strength has changed, everything has changed every a baby. So you need to start from the beginning and build that back. And so what can happen is I see women, they get into exercise too soon. And they do they have this, it's a sensation that like, a, it's like something's in your vagina or it feels like a tampon's in there or like you're sitting on a golf ball. So that could be an indication of a prolapse or even, <laughs> yes, <laughs> or, even or even a tightness. And this is all shit that people don't talk about but they yes. didn't know what can yeah. happen if you have a Important. baby.
3: Important. Or like they
2: go and have sex with their partner. And let me tell you the first time you have sex after you have a baby is scary because the it's last so thing that happened, the ha- last thing that happened on there was very traumatic. If you're breastfeeding, you have decreased estrogen, so your vagina is pretty much menopausal. So you're dry, and you know your libido's down. So it's not this like there's a baby possibly in your room. Like it's not this like fun magical thing. You might have probably self conscious of the way your skin and body looks after just having birth. So oh, cool, it's six weeks. You're clear. Go ahead, like.
0: It's horrible. No, it's
2: it. You don't just can get back into that, and that's what a lot of my treatment is: is working on yourself, working on your confidence, working on your, um, really your, um, even your scar tissue. So if you have an episiotomy, which means that they had to cut into your muscle, if any freaking doctor cut into any sports athlete or Ooh. any knee or shoulder. What they would do is rehab it for 6 months, right? You tear a little ligament in your knee and you go to fucking physical therapy forever. But yeah. you literally push a baby out of your vagina, tear your muscles and you're not you don't do anything. You just okay? It's crazy. But crazy. Um, what
0: I'm hearing you say, I also want to make sure is if you're listening to this and you give birth and you have the opportunity to do physical therapy, go do pelvic floor physical therapy, right? It is insane. This should be part of. Gina will not celebrate herself. So I'll say it for her. Gina has spent the past two years also working on having Pennsylvania legislative passed to try to get this that that um in the state of Pennsylvania that like pelvic floor is like paid for and stuff. Now she's done a great thing so far. She got it. That May twenty fourth is May twenty sixth. May twenty sixth is in Pennsylvania. Um, the fourth trimester awareness day, right? Oh, thank you so much, Emily. So, yes. so Gina will That's... not celebrate by herself. That is huge. But what you really, your main goal is to get right is for it to be that pelvic floor physical therapy is just what's done in general after birth.
2: Yeah. So um, if you can't tell, I'm very passionate about all this and day in, day out, you know, I've been doing this um, for over eight and a half years now. Um, And day in, day out, I have women come into my um, room just crying and, you know, so upset the way their bodies are or that this happened to them. Was there a way to prevent it or you know, um, thinking that, you know, and then it spirals, as you know, into a mental, a mental health situation. Right. Um, so, or, you know, you're in pain. You don't want to have sex with your husband. You don't have sex with your husband. You don't communicate. You're not communicating. You're going to end up in, in a couple's rehab. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, not that it's a bad thing. I think everyone should, but, um,
0: (laughs) but probably, (laughs) But it's probably less
3: expensive to just get the, the pelvic also, floor
0: physical therapy
3: than a couple. Also, I counseling. love, I love, I love the term couples rehab. I me think too, because that that's, that's
0: what it is. Be,
3: that's what. Yeah. yeah. Couples, I okay. Wait. Couples rehab. Rehab. So wait. <laughs> yeah,
0: let me go back on my
2: tangent. So, um, so what I did, I got sick and tired of it. So I don't know. I am not like ask any of my friends; they'll like laugh that I am not. I don't know anything about. Like getting into politics or like emailing your senator. But I learned about it and I did it. And I emailed um, Senator Katie Muth in Pennsylvania. And um, I told her what I did all day. And she loved it and had me come to her office and wanted um, to help me work on the team to uh, write up this resolution. So the resolution is to bring awareness to what the fourth trimester is. And if any of people don't know, So it's this new terminology that is for postpartum. So you have your first, second and third trimester of pregnancy. And then this is now labeled your fourth trimester, which is what a woman goes through mentally and physically after they deliver a baby. Um, And there's not a certain time period. Like it's not just this three months of time. Postpartum, fourth trimester can be a year, two years, three years. You know what I mean? Because, um, our body just doesn't recover or I hate the term bounce back after you Mm -hmm. have a baby. Um, So it's my goal of the resolution was to make fourth trimester known of what a woman goes through mentally and physically after she has a baby. Um, But it's the goal is so that women will have access to mental health care and they will have access to um, pelvic floor physical therapy like they do in every other first world freaking country. Like <laughs> in France, and if you have a baby, if you have a baby, you go to pelvic floor physical therapy. They know about it. And you go, you get paid set, like six to 10 sessions in fucking
0: France. But in America,
3: wow. like,
2: no
0: one even knows where their pelvic floor is. It's nice, right, right. <laughs> They're like, just go die. We don't care about you. Okay, wait, we, we could talk to you forever, Gina. We have to do, I'm going to do rapid fire questions. That's what I'm going to do. You get two sentences to answer. Are you ready? Oh, my gosh.
3: <laughs> she's, li- she's really limiting you.
0: Okay. You ready? You ready? Does my OB need to refer me to a pelvic floor physical therapist or can I find one on my own? So you can find one on your own. So in it differs
2: state to state. Um, Sorry, this is way more than two sentences. I suck. Okay. I, yeah, I'm a big mm-hmm. talker. Um, <laughs> so I have what's called my direct access. And that's what I have a doctorate of physical therapy. And now physical therapy schools are doctorate programs. So it's, again, very state to state. But you could go see a physical therapist in the state of Pennsylvania without a script from a doctor for 30 days. Um, So you don't necessarily need a script from your OB, but you can locate a pelvic floor PT at www.pelvicrehab.com or APTA, that's the American Physical Therapy Association, pelvichealth.org, APTA, pelvichealth.org. And both those sites will, um, you type in your zip code and you can locate a pelvic floor physical therapist in your area. And I highly encourage people.
0: Perfect. Thank you. Okay, here is my favorite question. Just so you know, out of all the questions people ask, <laughs> I know which I one. You're going know and it everyone hey, knows know which, one know which, which one because which is one why do women queef when doing yoga and how to prevent it. And I would also like to say I queef while doing most exercise, specifically any core work or yoga. So I'm assuming queefing is just normal, but I'd like to hear from you, Gina. First
3: of all, does everybody know what a queef is? I hope oh, so. Yeah, if that's not, Let's tell them the definition. <laughs>
0: and
2: we're gonna so, put it we're
3: gonna put it on one of like our canva things like this is the definition, the definition of, of, of queef, queef. yeah yes
0: yes what's um, the medical word
3: is it you know queef what? I tried to look it up I, it, it has to be queef I think it's just queef correct me if I'm <laughs> wrong someone but I
2: don't think there is it's basically Please. for those that don't know it's vaginal farting it's like when you <laughs> fart out of your vagina so yeah, it's like it's gas but in, in medical terminology it's when you have laxity in your vaginal canal so an air passes through so like during yoga class downward dog you're getting a lot of air in there happy baby right. pose right and then um what happens is the tissue moves you do another certain position and it's gas comes out it's it's, it's when there's laxity and air involvement. So, um, and to help with this, you can actually um, train your pelvic floor, like to do a contraction when you think that it's going to happen. And again, Emily, it's all that about your intra-abdominal pressure and coordinating it so that you use your abdominals correctly with your pelvic floor. Um, Also, um, some women use tampons or um, this awesome invention called the impressa where it helps like position everything in place and keeps everything so that it air doesn't escape out of your vagina when you exercise. Interesting. Yeah. So,
0: so is queefing problematic? Should I be concerned is what you're saying? Um,
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, not necessarily. It's, it just means that there might be some laxity, but definitely. And, and again, too, like, Yes. It's awesome for wellness visits, but it depends who you go to. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I am taking insurance. So when you're insurance based, you have to justify it to insurance. But basically I see people with any dysfunction. So like postpartum, if you're having urinary fecal incontinence or any type of pain. So, um, you know, again, too, like constipation, is it normal? I see a lot of patients with constipation. Mm -hmm. Um, And like I said, we talk about diet, lifestyle. Um, and then I do retraining and teach people how to poop. People poop wrong, so <gasps> I, I've had patients that for years have had constipation, and I just teach them how to relax. Their pelvic floor should relax, not
0: tighten, when you have a bowel movement, and um, it really helps.
3: So recently, recently, Nikki.
0: Wait. Did you know, Jen, that Nikki put up, um, like, from a while ago, like, we were going through all of our old files, and there was one about how to properly poop from a, th- yeah, from a pelvic kinda, floor physical therapist, and Nikki hung I them up in the bathrooms in our office.
3: That, yes, yes. And Next to the squatty you, potties. I was going to say, do you recommend a squatty potty? Yes, I love squatty potties. So... When you're, you want your knees
2: higher than your hips, when you have a bowel movement, because you, um, your anal rectal angle in your pelvic floor, it's easier to relax when your knees are higher than your hips. So think of like kids or again, in European countries, they squat over a hole to go to the bathroom. Kids, you squat. It's easier to be in that, um, squatted position with your knees higher than your hips for that to able to relax. And if it, you know, we sit on 90 degree porcelain toilets with our hips, 90 degrees, it's harder to have a bowel movement and thinking like older people when you're sitting on one of those
3: high things cuz your cuz your hips so it's harder to poop. So I have I have one final question before we get to calling BS, <laughs> but I'm wondering because when we when Emily and I like go to parties or we're meeting new people, we've like kind of lost all social norms because we're just like asking about people's trauma and I'm wondering if you have a similar <laughs> if <have too>, <laughs> you know. I talk about Are you just like tell me and, about your how do you that. poop? It's like how do you poop, you know? Like I'm wondering if it's just like so normal that it just comes so naturally? Does that happen? i'm not afraid to talk about this at all
2: <laughs> i i have gone and marketed in bars with my pelvic floor model and i'm like hey do you know about pelvic floor physical therapy like i'm not i'm not kidding i i i don't mind asking people how they poop or if they my i like posted a picture of so vaginal dilators so that's one re- way that yes. we help women with vaginismus like that can't there's really there's women that can't even insert a q-tip into their vaginal canal so that the dilation helps them um be able to handle penile insertion so it helps you know you dilate up and it, it it looks like dildos and some of my friends and family members are like what did you post on on instagram and i was like guys this is great we're having this conversation
3: like i'm <laughs> they're not dildos they're okay. therapeutic dilators <laughs> <laughs> and even if they were you're allowed and to even them. if they're dildos that
0: is really cool too right we support uh,
3: you.
0: <laughs> okay <laughs> Gina we love you we love you we love you but we gotta call BS with all of our with all of our guests right call some BS that people think about your industry
3: it
2: is not normal to pee yourself that is bullshit you should never pee yourself you should not pee. people think oh I had a baby I pee myself no you shouldn't pee yourself when you cough, when you sneeze, when you run, when you jump, you shouldn't have to pee yourself when you're in a tanning bed or in the middle of the (laughs) night, or that (sighs) there might be something wrong with your pelvic floor. So go to a pelvic floor physical therapist. And then, so now I work with urogynecologists. People don't even know what urogynecologists are. So the two doctors I work with, they, um, they have their residency in OB and they specialize in pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgeries. And they are huge advocates for, pelvic floor physical therapy, which is so amazing. Um, Mm. it's, you should not pee yourself. If you are, that means that there's something wrong. And it doesn't mean that your pelvic floor is necessarily weak. It could be that it's not coordinated. And someone like me in my profession can really
0: help you. I think that, like, when we go and see a doctor, like, we just sort of listen to them sometimes, especially at that six week postpartum visit. It's like, okay, well, bye. Like, it's really important you advocate, right? So to say, like, actually, no, like, I really think I need to see a pelvic floor PT, or I really think that I do need help with this, or I really do think, I think it's really easy for us to just take our doctor's word and, like, a big big part of like living your best fulfilled life is also advocating for yourself and you just gave us a ton of information of many people listening probably thinking like I could probably use a Gina I could probably get something out (laughs) of this (laughs) (laughs) women are so lucky to be able to go
3: to you yes yes
0: Gina Cunningham my pelvic floor angel my gem I love you wait and then I'll let me leave with this before we end I'll tell the story about how your husband changed my life do you know this Yes. That when my, I ran into Gina on the street before we got super close, I my daughter was six weeks old. It was the first time I ever left the house with her. By chance, you were going to a party with your daughter in Phoenixville on the street. Oh my gosh, I street. gotta remember this right yes. now. Yes. And your husband looked at me and said just make it through the first eight weeks and you're going to be okay and he was the first person who said something to me like that and he said it and he looked and then said it to my husband and he said you guys are going to be okay just so you know and i think like so now you can know your husband are
3: you are you okay Uh, no
0: (laughs) (laughs) he lied to me by the way first (laughs) couple (laughs) weeks
3: in the end no it's so it's
0: true if you can get through those first eight weeks it is so life changing. But like you do not realize how much you need to hear that until a random person you've oh, never met before wow. tells you that on the street. <laughs> so, nice. so now you can go tell him, um hey, if you liked this episode, you want to send it out, you think someone else might like this episode, give a friend. Apparently, I'm supposed to now awkwardly ask you all to review us, unless you hate us, please don't review us, but <laughs> yeah, if you don't to give only us, only <laughs> review us if you like us, <laughs> But if you want to give us a five-star review, I'm supposed to ask you to do that now too. Um <laughs> we're very fragile. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We are fragile. Um, Thank you for listening to today's episode because to grow yourself, you got to know yourself. Bye, guys. We love you.